Hello and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today we are kicking off a brand new series entitled This Changes Everything. The title for today's message is It All Starts Here. We hope you guys enjoyed today's word. Hey, now I want you to repeat this with me. I am ready to receive the truth revealed in God's word to me. Now go ahead and ask somebody, are you ready? Tell somebody else because I'm ready. All right, now remember you said you're ready. All right, because we're going to dig into God's word today. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church at the Bridge, and it is our pleasure to serve you today. I believe that what we have for you is some fresh bread, that there's a word that God has for you in season. I don't believe that you're here by accident. I believe that God wants to speak directly to your heart. Today we're starting a new series entitled, This Changes Everything. This Changes Everything. Now, I know, I just heard somebody think this. What changes everything? And I'm glad you asked that question because this series is literally going to point us to a lot of truth that's revealed in God's word that brings about change in our lives. I don't know about you, but change is something that we all need. Would you agree? Right? Some of you, you're like, I don't want no change. Leave me alone. Right? But the truth is that change is something that we all need. And yet, We all have different responses to it. Let's consider that. For some of us, it'll welcome it. Bring it on. I'm ready for change. For others, we resist it. And for some of us, we just delay it, right? But change is inevitable. And when confronted with change, we got to really think about this, that our natural tendency is to think about what's to come. So when we're considering change or seeing even that God's leading us somewhere, here's what we're thinking about. Well, how's this going to work out? Where am I going with this? Where's this going to lead me? We think about what's required, right? We think about what it costs. We also think about what it's taking from us, right? But for you, child of God, change has very little to do with what lies ahead of you. Listen closely to what I'm saying here. In fact, change is born out of you understanding what God has already changed within you and for you. Now, listen closely. When we approach change, here's what we consider. What do I have to do, right? What do I have to give up, right? What's it going to cost me? What's my part in all this? And the truth is that this walk with Christ has very little to do with what you change for God. It has everything to do with discovering what he's already done in you. Don't take my word for it. Please don't. We're going to look to the scriptures. Because I want you to see that all change is derived from a beginning. It starts with an awakening that what we see, where we are, and how we are experiencing life really is lacking. And that there is more beyond what we have the ability to perceive. You ever heard the story about the guy who once says to his wife, his wife is preparing a ham, and he says, honey, why are you cutting the ends of the ham off? That's a waste of food. And she says, it makes it taste better. He says, where'd you hear that nonsense? She goes, "My, my mom did it since we were kids, and I guarantee you it makes it taste better. Just ask her. So he picks up the phone. He says, mom. Susie's talking about 
cutting the ends of the hams off. She's, she's throwing them out. She says that it makes it taste better. She says that you taught her that. She goes, absolutely. It absolutely makes it taste better. Where have you learned how to make ham? I'm telling you it makes it taste better. He says, well, where did you hear that from? She goes, well, I heard it from my mom. So this guy's frustrated. Eventually, he can't, he can't help himself. He picks up the phone and he calls grandma. He says, grandma, Susie says, and her mom says that you taught them to cut the ends of the ham off because supposedly somehow it makes it taste better. He goes, how does that happen? And she goes, oh, don't listen to them. I don't know why they cut the ends of their ham off, but we cut it off because it didn't fit in the pan. <laughs> listen closely to this. Until we come to the place in our understanding, in our belief, in our view, where we no longer settle for what we've been told and what the experiences of life conditioned us to, we cannot step into the joys of change that come by way of the truth that God wants us to see, to know, and to live by. And so today, as we begin this series, I want to talk to you on the topic of it all starts here. And I just heard somebody else think this. Where? I'm glad you asked. Because we're going to go directly to the scriptures. I was having an interesting conversation earlier with someone. And they were were asking me some questions about uh, what we had talked about the previous Sunday. And and one thing that I, I commit to you and I've committed to the Lord is this. I will never give you my opinion. I will always qualify scripture with scripture. So I want you to pay close attention because I'm going to show you some things in what we're going to be doing and what we're going to be learning today. But you have to pay attention to the scriptures that support what we're learning. Is that all right? All right. So we're going to turn first to 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. And watch what it says. It says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely From a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, these verses are part of a letter written by a guy named Paul, inspired by God, to a people that are not unlike or were not unlike you and I. See, These people were seeking God. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, Paul commends them. uh, And he says that they're growing, that they're excelling in many different areas of faith. And then he encourages them to not uh, overlook a certain portion of, of this walk with Christ. And he says, excel there too. But my point with that is this, that these were people that were seeking God. They were growing and they were excelling. And if you study the lives of these people in the Corinthian church, what you'll see is that they still had a lot to learn, like you and me. They still had a lot to learn, right? So they hadn't arrived. Now, these people faced the same tension that you and I do. Hear what I'm saying here. They were on the journey of a new life with Christ while trying to overcome the realities of the life that lay behind them. There's a tension that we, that we uh, 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 experience when we come into relationship with God. And here's simply what it is. The Word of God declares so many things about you and I. The Word of God declares so many things about what's available to you and I. There are great, precious promises given to us. 
And, and for some of us, they seem so foreign, so unreal. But it's because we're navigating the tension between what God says is true and what we remember. And where we've been. And what we've learned. And what we've accepted as truth. What we've accepted as life. And so Paul prods them to press into the realm of change by revealing to them a new reality. He says to them and us, if we could just put that up again, verse 17, your old life is gone. And he says, your new life has begun. Now, for some of us, that creates frustration. It creates frustration because, man, I want to get over my past. I want to let go of some of the things that I believe that I do, that I don't want to do, but I continue to do, and the things that I continue to think about, but I don't want to think about, and I tell myself, bad little Christian, bad little person, why could you think that? Why are you thinking like that? Why are you remembering those things? Why are you thinking back there? And the truth is this, that God says that life is gone. But listen closely, there's a new life that has begun that you and I have to discover. We have to discover it. See, change begins with the discovery of your new reality. These words in 2 Corinthians 5 do not negate the realities of our past. They don't erase them where we don't remember them. If anything, the truth is that here's what the scripture does. It asserts that you can live free from the impact of that reality. You can move on from that past. But to be free from them, there is something that has to stop. There's something that has to stop. Let's put up verse 16 again. Watch what Paul says here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Listen to what Paul's saying. Listen to what God is saying through this man to you and I today. There is a view that you and I maintain And for some of us, we live by it. I'm a practical person. If it doesn't make sense in my rational mind, then it can't be true. It doesn't fit. Listen closely. Your brain and mind is not big enough to contain the knowledge of God. It is not. Your experience in mind is not big enough to contain the knowledge of God. See, our human point of view has limitations. And so Paul begins to teach us how change starts by telling us that we have to stop evaluating things from a human point of view. That doesn't mean that you go, well, that truck is coming, but it's not going to touch me. So I could just walk right in front of it. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just say this with all due respect? That is stupidity times 20 times infinity. That's not what I'm talking about. But listen, the natural mind will rob you. It will limit you from accepting the truth and the change that God invites into our lives. And so we have to recognize that our human point of view has limitations. Do you know that there was a time 
where people thought the world was flat? You, do you know that? And how could somebody come to that conclusion? I'll tell you how it happened. One day, somebody woke up and walked out on his deck, and he looked at the horizon. And the sun looked like it was meeting the ground. And he said, there's the end of the earth. And so he says, I'll only go this far because if I dare to walk that far, I'll fall off the edge of the earth. Then somebody chose to step outside of the human point of view and to explore the unknown and to discover new possibilities and a new life. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot rely upon your human point of view. I'll prove it to you. You ever had one of those plans that was really, 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 I mean, really, really good. It's like it's good. It's so good that you said it was God. And it blew up in your face. See, human point of view will do that to you and I. So you see, the same is true for us. Just like these people that dare to step out of the realm of a human point of view to discover something new and and, and explore new possibilities, the same is true for us that life before Christ conditioned us to believe what we saw, what we were told, what we experienced, and it set limitations for us. And for some of us today, we still live with limitations. I believe there's a God. I just don't believe that he's that good enough to me. I believe that God is all-powerful. I just don't believe that he can do it in my life, human point of view. But life with Christ invites us to true and long-lasting change by opening our understanding to a new life outside of the realm of the human point of view. See, this new life, where this all starts, it begins with understanding that there is, in fact, a new you. Please don't trust what you see in the mirror. Please don't trust what you feel. Please don't trust what you've been told by people. Please don't. The Bible says this. It says that we now know no man after the flesh. Let me translate that for you. We, we look upon no man according to what we see on the outside. It says, we know no man after the flesh. Watch this. But after the spirit. I want to encourage you to consider the words of God. He says, your old life is gone. The new life has begun. In the original language, when it talks about us being a new creation, it's literally saying... That you are an entirely new, a a species that has never existed, has never been known to the mind of man. There is something so different and special and unique and godly and divine that is in you. It's the new you. It's who you really are. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to turn your attention to a story contained in the Bible that records the life of a woman named Naomi, a specific part of her life. Naomi was an Israelite, and she was destined for great things. 
And I want to encourage you to go and read the book of Ruth. It's just four little chapters. Just four little chapters. It's just enough to enjoy with some coffee and some keto-approved pastries. But as you check out her story, what you'll see is that at the very beginning, it looks like her life is headed nowhere. It looks as if she was not destined for something great. And so at the beginning of her story, we find her uh, in the midst of a great famine. So great was this famine that her husband, Elimelech, decides, Naomi, pack the kids up, pack our bags, we're leaving. Now, the thing about it is that sounds like it's a good idea in the midst of a famine. But you got to understand where they were. Where they lived was a place called Bethlehem, Judah. And that that name, Bethlehem Judah, has a very special and powerful meaning. It means the house of bread and the place of praise. And so they leave the house of praise, the house of bread, the place of praise. And the scripture says that they go to a place named Moab. And when they get to Moab, here's the thing about Moab. Moab is full of their enemies. These people hate God and hate God's people. They curse them. Last week, we looked at the story of Gideon, and what we saw is that the Moabites robbed them. They they, they destroyed all they they had. They took from them. They infringed upon them. They, 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 They enslaved them. They hurt them. So these Moabites were people who were very wicked, very evil. They wanted nothing to do with God. And somehow, Naomi and Elimelech go, Ah, it's great to go over there. That's a great idea. Let's leave the place of God's provision. Let's leave the place where we praise and know God to be true. And let's go and be with our enemies. Let's go depend on people that hate us. Now, that brings into question... How did they get there? How could anyone in their right mind, knowing God, say it's better to go with our enemies than to stay here? And the truth is this, that they forgot something. Let me tell you what I mean. The name Elimelech means my God is king. The name Naomi means my delight. And in those days, names meant something. Names defined destiny. Names also said something about how God viewed you and how you related to God. And so in essence, Elimelech and Naomi decide, we're out of here. We're going to go to new land and seek some change. But it came at this expense. God, I know you're king but I'm going to go seek another. You say I'm your delight, but I'm going to go to people that hate me. Do you see the contrast there? Do you see how, how, how sick and twisted that thinking is? And so they leave for this place called Moab, and when they get there, guess what happens? Everything goes wrong. The Bible says, and we're going to dive into this story in a second in, in uh, Ruth, 
uh, chapter 1. The Bible says that when, when they get there, they're in this place, and we have no record of exactly what happens there, but we do know this, because the scripture does record this. It gets so bad that eventually Elimelech dies. Her husband dies, right? So now she's a widow. And her sons, while they were there in Moab, they married their enemies. They married two women, right? One of them being Orpah, another one being Ruth. And so her sons die. And so now, here's why that's such a bad situation. Because in those days, when you were a widow, you were to rely upon your closest relatives to take care of you, namely men. The problem is there was no one around. And so one day, Naomi gets wind of the fact that God is in the midst of the people of Israel and that the famine has broken because God is supernaturally providing for his people. And the Bible says that Naomi says, Orpah, Ruth, come here. Go and find yourselves a husband back with your family. Go back to your families. Because I'm going back to Israel. The Bible says that Orpah says, peace. Love you. But I don't want to be you. I'm out. But the Bible records that Ruth, this Moabite, this woman who was a pagan, says to Naomi, I will not leave you. She says, as a matter of fact, now watch how, how devoted she was, how much, the, 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 how strong their relationship was, and listen to the impact of it. The Bible says that Ruth says to Naomi, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever, wherever you call your lands, they'll be my lands. And your God shall be my God, and your people shall be my people. She says, I will follow after all that you believe, and I will go where you go. I will not leave you, Naomi. And so the Bible says that they leave together, and they end up going back to, uh, to uh, Bethlehem, Judah. And when Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, Judah, the women of the town, they get into this, this frenzy, right? Everybody's like, oh, my God, could that actually be Naomi? Is this Naomi? Listen to Naomi's response in Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, don't call me Naomi. Listen to what she's saying. Don't call me God's delight. She says, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Watch this. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me God's delight? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Listen to what Naomi, what's going on with Naomi. She is back in Israel and she's in the place of blessing. God is on the move. God is providing. And she says, but not for me. Not for me. She says, there's no no good fortune in my life. She says, I'm afflicted, I'm empty, I'm bitter, I'm mad. She's in the very, she's in the midst of a move of God. But Naomi has forgotten who she is and she's taken on a new identity, a false one, a label. And she says, I'm bitter. That's who I am. I'm empty. That's who I am. 
My life is full of misfortune. That's who I am. I'm afflicted. That's who I am. And you know what was the saddest thing about this? She believed that God made her that way. I pray you're listening. Listen, change emerges from within when you have the courage to let go of the past and embrace who you really are. I'm going to say that again. Change emerges from within when you have the courage to let go of the past and embrace who you are. Naomi had been through so much up until this point. And we find her weakened, lamenting her circumstances and blaming God for them. She believed that the same God who called her his delight had now marked her and destined her for a cursed life. And here's what's most interesting about this part of the story where we're up to right now. Let's read verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 20 again. Uh, 21, I'm sorry. She says, I went away full. Listen, I went away full. I want you to see something. It wasn't as bad as she believed when she left the house of praise, the house of the place of praise. What happened? She went off seeking provision outside of God. You know, you begin to lose yourself when you begin to seek sustenance in life, in people, places, and things. You begin to lose sight of who you are. The Bible puts it this way. Don't be fooled. Bad company, it corrupts good character. It'll stain it. And so she acknowledges that prior to leaving Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread, the place of praise, she acknowledges that her life was full, that it wasn't as bad as it seemed when when she left. And the cause of this misperception lay in the fact that she went seeking life outside of the blessing of God. And she lost her view of who she really is. Her past was so present in her life at this moment that Naomi could not see who God said she was. And she certainly couldn't step into the change that it invited into her life. And so despite the blessing of God, nothing was changing for her because nothing was changing in her view. You want change? Anybody want some transformation? You want some change in your life? Wave at me if that's you. Come on, be proud for that, right? I'm so glad that that's you. Me too. Listen to what the scriptures say in Romans 12 too. Do not conform. In other words, do not fall into the mold of the pattern of this world, of how things are done here and the beliefs here. It says, but be transformed. Your ears should be perking up. How does that happen? By the renewing of your mind. Listen, then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Listen closely. Change is only possible when there is a renewal of the mind. Let me tell you how this works. This mind 
remembers things. This mind conceives things. This mind is a sponge. It draws. It sucks up information. It's constantly working. It's constantly gathering. It's constantly uh, gleaning information. And we think. But here's the problem. This mind is only a third of who you are. 2 Thessalonians reveals that we are spirit, soul, and body. And for some of us, we're comfortable with just functioning according to this mind, the soul. And here's where we go wrong. When when there's a disconnect from the mind, the will, and the emotions, when there's a disconnect from the spirit, the new person that you are, isn't any wonder that this body struggles and we undergo things that we were never meant to? God calls you to live wholly, completely. By the way, I'm not talking about holes like these. I'm talking about a complete person, spirit, soul, and body. And so we have to tap into this new creation that we are. Let me read to you some scriptures, and don't look for them on the screens because they're not there. Um, but if you're interested in them, we can email them to you. That's fine. Just let us know at guest services. We'll get that to you. Galatians 6.15 says this. It says, it doesn't matter if anyone is circumcised or not. It's talking about religious activity. It says, the only thing that matters is the new life that we have from God. The only thing that matters, the only thing that brings about change, the only thing that releases the power of God is this. When you know the new life, the new creation that you are in Christ. In Christ. It's not based on what you do according to religion. It's based on understanding that it's no longer your old life. The old person that exists. That's gone. But we remember. And so this process of walking with Christ, of relationship with God, is a process of learning the truth about what's already complete in you and I. I pray your spiritual ears are open. I pray your spiritual ears are open because I'm telling you right now that what we're we're looking at here, this is life-changing. This is life-changing. Romans 6, 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 6 through 7 says this. We know that our old self, our human nature without the Holy Spirit, was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the person who has died with Christ has been freed from sin. Listen closely. Listen closely. There are some of us here today that you possibly believe, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Let me ask you, which one is the truth? Is it that you're a sinner or is it that you're saved by grace? Because it can't be both. The scripture says that he nailed it to the cross. For you to still be a sinner is for you to negate what Jesus did for you. We got to check our belief system, ladies and gentlemen. 
We got to get past doctrinal teaching. Can I tell you what that's all about? Control. That's control. That's control. That's manipulation. And it's a lie. It's a lie. Romans 8, 30 and 31 says this, and we're also going to read 30, uh, verse 37. It says, and those whom he predestined. In other words, he made up his mind even before you and I played a role in it. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. He declared them free of the guilt of sin. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, raising them to a heavenly dignity. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be successful against us? Verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through, through him who loved us so much that he died for us. Listen closely. You are just in God's eyes. There is not one stain of guilt or shame in the eyes of the Father. He does not look at you according to a fallen nature. He does not look at you according to your, uh, according to your mistakes. God does not look at you and call you a uh, failure, sinner, unholy, unrighteous. He looks at you and he says, my child, my redeemed, my holy one, my chosen one. I'm going to tell you why it's so important for us to, and, 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 and listen, if you got to go, I get it. But I'm, I'm going to take my time with this. I'm not saying we're going to be here for the next three hours. I didn't say that. <laughs> but I, I got to take you through this because listen closely. This is so important because the truth is this, that we function according to what we believe. And for some of us, we've been living a life less than God's promise and we've been frustrated managing that tension, not realizing that there's a completely new reality and a new you that you have yet to tap into. Yeah. Romans 5.17 says this, For if because of one man's trespass, lapse and offense, death reign through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace and unmerited favor and the free gift of righteousness putting them into right standing with himself. And they will reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Listen to what God says about you. Kings and queens reigning in life. If you're waiting for the sweet by and by to take hold of a promise of God, you are missing it. It's right now that God wants you to begin to live this life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Listen, that we would become the righteousness of God in him. Listen to what the scripture is saying. Jesus said, I see your flaws. I see the nature apart from God. I see what you became when you separated yourself from God at the very beginning. He says, I'm going to become that so that you can become what I am. So watch what the exchange was. Sin for righteousness. The Bible says that you have become his righteousness. Watch this. Righteousness has nothing to do with the right things you try and do. Righteousness has everything to do with his righteousness. Don't miss this. When God looks at you and he says righteous, he's not talking about the right things you do. 
He's talking about who he is in you and what he's created you to be. You are righteous because you bear his nature and his likeness now. Don't miss that. Man, there's a whole bunch of more scriptures that I want to give you, but I'm not, just for the sake of time. But 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 says this. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, that special endowment, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear. Listen to what the scripture is saying. Some people will teach it this way. They'll say, fear is a spirit. That's not what the scripture said. The scripture says this, that he did not place in you, your spirit, fear. But watch what he did place in you. Listen closely. He placed power. He placed love. And he placed sound judgment and personal discipline. You have the abilities that result in calm, in a well-balanced mind, and in a self-controlled life. That's all in you. Now, for someone, you just went back to your diagnosis. But my doctor said this. Stop. Stop. We know no man after the flesh. You know when you begin to see change? When you begin to live out of this new reality. Who you are in Christ. So, Naomi was so disillusioned by her circumstances that God said, baby, I'm about to unleash a divine plan to show you who you are and what I want to do in your life. And so in Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, let me just read this to you very quickly just for the sake of time. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. So they've been in Israel now for a while. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. Here's what that means. He's related to her husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, saying, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And so she came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked them, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? 
a foreigner. You know what she's saying? I'm a Moabite. I'm not an Israelite. Why are you being kind to me? And so Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. In other words, don't stop her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her. So in other words, even the good stuff, drop it on the floor for her. Leave it there for her. He says, even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So there's a lot happening here, and I just want to quickly kind of paraphrase, summarize it. What we see here is this, that Naomi's daughter-in-law goes, uh, Ruth goes to Naomi and asks her permission to go and glean some food, to go and glean scraps, leftovers. Now, back in those days, there was a law uh, in, in the midst of the Jewish law that stated that if a widow or someone who was incapable of taking care of themselves did not have the means to provide for themselves or for somebody to help them, that they were to go during the harvest time and go behind the harvesters. And when you were gleaning the harvest, what, there, were, there, were, there was grain or whatever it was that you had that would drop as you were doing it. That was to be left on the ground for people who were incapable of providing for themselves or did not have a covering in their own lives to be provided for. And so get this picture. Ruth goes to Naomi and says, Naomi, let me go out and get us some food. You know what that tells us? They were starving. Naomi was so caught up in Moab, and she's in the place of blessing in the midst of a move of God, that she's not getting up to take a hold of her blessing. And so Ruth goes out, and as she begins to glean, the Bible tells us that this Jewish the, the, the owner, this guy named Boaz, who's related to Elimelech, comes and he says, sweet thing. Come here, baby. In his Barry White voice. He says, hey, gal, come here, you know. Let me show you something. Let me help you, right? Oh, yeah, me han ca, mi amor. Déjame hablarte. Mami, me han ca. Mi amor. Cariño de mi vida, ven aquí. So Boaz asks, who does this woman belong to? What I want you to see is that he's interested in her. And verse 12 reveals to us that Boaz was moved by her devotion to Naomi. But what we got to see is that there was a bigger move that was driving 
his decision. In verse 12, he says, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Listen to what he's saying to a Moabite, a pagan, an unbeliever. He says to her, I know you're from Moab, and I know what that means, but you're welcome in the house of God. You belong here. You stay right here. Don't go anywhere else. Stay right here. See, God was putting into motion a great blessing that would change the life story of both Ruth and Naomi. But while this is happening, Naomi is unaware because she's too bitter to go out and possess her blessing. It teaches us something about change. That you cannot find change in the same place that you lost it. Listen to what I'm saying. While Israel is experiencing a great blessing... Naomi stays behind. Why? Look, oftentimes when desiring change and looking to God, you know what we do sometimes? We seek change in areas of loss. Hear what I'm saying. We lament wrong relationships that we were never meant to be into, but here's what we do. We say, God, change that and make that right. Make it work for me. Why? You don't belong there. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Listen, sometimes we look to failed endeavors that were never meant for us. And we ask God to bless that when it was never meant to be a blessing in our lives. We ask God to open opportunities in places where there were no opportunities at all to begin with. We look back to Moab and try and make it the place of praise. Try and make it a house of bread. You don't belong there. And so while Ruth is out pursuing opportunity and change, Naomi's stuck at home pursuing Moab. She's pursuing Moab. And like Ruth, you and I, we too must move from Moab. God does not call you to change behind you. It's not, that's, God's not interested in changing your past. He's interested in giving you the new one, a new future. Change is ahead of you. It's not behind you. Stop looking back. You can't walk forwards and look backwards. Eventually, you're going to go somewhere you're never meant to be. Ephesians 2, 18 and 19 says this, For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ruth felt like she had no place on that field because she wasn't an Israelite. But God was working in her life and in the life of Naomi by teaching her that she was now in the household of God and she belonged. See, everything begins to change when you understand how dear you are to God. Some of us, here's how we look at ourselves. That's real. What I see in that mirror, that's real. The resume of mistakes that I, that I have, that's real. The thoughts, the self-talk that I, that I roll around in my head, That's real. These problems that I have, that's real. 
I'm not negating the reality of what you're experiencing. I'm just telling that there's a greater reality. It's what God wants to do in you by revealing to you who you are in Christ. And so God says to you today, you're a saint. You belong. You're a citizen in my kingdom. You have a place in my household. And that makes all the difference. So don't look back to Moab because there's nothing there. There's nothing there. When Ruth returns that night to Naomi after gleaning, right, if you, if you read the story, and I know that you will, because you, you, you don't want to take my word for it, and I don't blame you. Listen, she, she, Boaz didn't just provide, didn't just make way for her to glean more. He also gave her a meal. You know, he, he provided her from his own table. And so she goes back, and she shows up to Naomi's house, and Naomi goes, where did you get all this stuff? Wait, wait, wait. How did you glean all of this? And the Bible says that Ruth tells Naomi, I was at a field of a guy named Boaz. And all of a sudden, ding, 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 the light goes off. <laughs> Naomi realizes there's a redeemer in the house. Let me tell you what, what that means. We're going to read that. Matter of fact, let's just read it first. Uh, Ruth 2.20 says, the Lord bless him. In Spanish, that's ay santo. <laughs> the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. I believe it's Luke 25. It, 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 it lays out a law, a Jewish law that said this, that if you were a widow or if you were someone who's incapacitated and cannot provide for yourself, that the person who was next in line and closest to you after your husband died, that person had the right to exercise their authority by taking you into their household, making you their wife, providing for you and any children that you had after that would carry on the name of your deceased husband. And so watch this. This was what was referred to as a kingsman redeemer or like in the NIV it says the guardian redeemer. What you might not realize is this. The entire Bible is a story about Jesus. And here's what the book of Ruth reveals Jesus as. The one who takes you in and redeems you and restores you and buys you back to your original intended purpose and in his image and likeness. And so get this. Being aware of this, Naomi realizes that, they, that she is still God's delight. And that he's still king in her life. That he's always been. And so she conceives a plan. The Bible says, and, and I don't have time to read it, so we're not going to go there. But in Ruth 3, it says this, that um, she says to, uh, to Ruth, Naomi says to Ruth, Hey, I want you to do something. Just trust my instruction. Boaz is now at the point of the harvest, at the end of the harvest, where now he's threshing the wheat. He's separating the grain from the shaft. He's taking all the good stuff. So he's working all day, right, in, in his threshing floor where he does this. So go over there, but wait till after he's eaten, right, and he's been married, and, and he goes to sleep. And then go and just lay at his feet. Here's what you might not know, that when it came to a a widow coming to a man who had the right over her to be her redeemer, 
the way that she would convey to him, take me under your covering, be my redeemer, she would lay at his feet. And so the Bible says that Ruth goes and uh, Boaz is sleeping. She lays at his feet. And as she's laying at his feet, Boaz wakes up. and He goes, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Whoa, I don't rock like that. What's, what's, what, what? This ain't no good. And she goes, and the Bible says this, that she takes the edge of his garment and she puts it over herself. And here's what she's saying. Would you redeem me? Would you take me as yours? So the Bible says that Boaz goes, I will absolutely do this. But there's one who still has a right to you. There's one who's next in line before me. And so he says, don't worry about it. I'm going to go and see if, if, if we can work this out. So the Bible says that Ruth goes back to Naomi. And Naomi says, don't worry. He will not rest until this gets done. And so uh, Boaz goes to this guy and he says to him, hey, listen, uh, Naomi's back. She has a small plot of land, right? And uh, her husband's dead. So legally, it's yours. And the Bible says that the guy says, I'll take it. But then... Boaz says, but yeah, you got to also understand this. It also comes with his wife. It comes with Ruth, the Moabite. He goes, ooh, I don't want want nothing to do with that. You take it. So long story short, this guy says, write the record down. I'm taking Ruth as my wife. I'm taking possession. I'm redeeming them. And the Bible says this, that he marries her. Beautiful love story. But I want you to see something about this covering and this redeeming. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Watch this. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You know what that word hidden means there? It means to take one out of danger by concealment. So it's basically, I don't want you to see this, so I'm going to hide it and get it out of the view of everyone. I want you to realize what happened in Ruth's life and what that tells us about who we are in Christ. The Bible says this, that you are hidden in Christ, that your old man is dead. Watch why you're hidden. God saw you as a sinner. God saw your nature. God saw our tendency to be apart from God, and he says, I'll take you from that danger, but now from this point forward, I no longer see where you've been, I no longer see what you've done, because the only thing that I can see is Christ, who is your covering, who has redeemed you, who has restored you, who has raised you, and has brought you back to life. Ruth was a pagan in her former life, but under the covering of Boaz, she became an Israelite. She was redeemed. Listen, your position in life changes when you find your identity in Christ. It changes everything. I think it's time that for some of us, we let go of Moab. It looked good. Smelled good, even tasted good. But after a while, it went sour. And maybe what you're realizing right now is, I thought I knew who I was. 
And you know what? What you thought you knew about yourself has proved to be true because it hasn't proven to be enough. It hasn't brought the results that God intended for your life. At the conclusion of the story, we find that Boaz marries Ruth and they conceive a child. Let me read to you Ruth 4, 14 and 16 as we close. It says, The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. Don't miss this point. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Let's leave that scripture up right there. Here's what you might not realize. That the David that he's talking about is the very one that God said, through him I will bring forth my salvation. Now watch this. Watch this. Naomi had to get to a place where she understood God, I'm still your delight. God, you're still my king. And God, when I left, I wasn't aware of how full I was in you. And so she returns and she sees the hand of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the faithfulness of God. And Naomi discovers restoration. And this child proved to be the very one by which Christ would eventually come. Not just a blessing to her, but a blessing to the entire world. Listen to me. When you know who you are in Christ and you are firm and secure in that, you will walk in blessing and you will bring blessing wherever you go. Amen. Hey, friends and family, thanks again so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that God spoke to you directly through this message. And if he did, we want to know. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can even give us a call at the office to let us know how God spoke to you. Don't forget to also share this message with a friend, a co-worker. Share it on your social media stories. You never know who in your life may be blessed by this word. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast, and we'll see you next week.